Hello, welcome back to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bortner and the world's greatest gymnast, Nick Protopapas. Hup, hup, that's me. <laughs> uh, how, how are you doing on this uh, fine uh, Monday afternoon? I'm Nick? great, Joe, but I'm kind of in a hurry, so if we could uh, speed this thing up. Oh, great. Um, yeah, this is welcome to the new Out of Our Heads podcast where we do things incredibly fast. Yes. Yeah, so uh, how's your how's your week been, Nick? Uh, pretty good. I give it overall. I give it a you know, uh, six out of ten. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't fast enough, you know. I wish weeks right, would go right. by more like seconds. Do do you do you happen to remember the? Um, I don't know if you stuck with it this long. They had a uh, a musical episode of The Flash. Um, yes, maybe not. It was a um, um, I think there was, was the a crossover singing, with Supergirl singing villain. That made people sing. Yes. Yeah. Which reminded me of that episode of Phineas and Ferb, where there's a dance ray, maybe, and it makes people dance. And then hmm. you know, I, I I seem to remember that the the, the episode of Phineas and Ferb that I remember is um. Different shirts have the, to fight while dancing. Right. Yeah. I remember the episode of Phineas and Ferb where they do the first episode, but it's a musical. What? <laughs> do not remember that. Also, the first episode is a musical. They sing a song about the roller coaster. Do they? Um, maybe. I don't know. I think you're thinking of Roller Coaster the Musical, which is the remake of the first episode? Maybe. Maybe I am thinking of that. Phineas and Ferb was a wacky show. Yeah. It's weird to think that it didn't start off as a musical, and then it was. I think it was always a musical. That's my theory. Because hmm. I think the second episode is the one with the beach, and there's definitely a song in that one, and that's what I have to say. The, yeah, there, there's a there's a backyard beach song in in that episode. Yeah, certainly. the one where it sounds like he's saying "bitch," but he's not. Huh. I I, I never made that connection. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I find that difficult to believe. So <laughs> all you have to do is change what you're thinking about, and it sounds exactly like he's saying "backyard bitch." Interesting. Nick, uh, you've got a thing for me this week. Joe, I do have a thing for you, and uh, after some uh, consultation with the council, I realized that the best choice for this week is uh, the book American Gods, which I read uh, by uh, by uh, our British friend uh, Neil Gaiman, which I can't name. Oh, great! He wrote, but I guess he's my friend. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say he's he's a friend of the show. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I uh, just to be clear before I even talk about this book, uh, you know, I've never read it, and I, I picked up by accident because it was the only one in the library. And I wasn't paying attention. The author's preferred text, which is just like longer, I guess, uh, from what mm-hmm. I read in the prefix, because I read the prefix, <laughs> is uh, that it's it's just longer and just less edited, I guess, which is sort of a weird thought. But the regular book is not as big. So whatever I say Interesting. may be altered by the fact that I read a longer version. Um, but um, this book is about a, a man named Shadow, which is a pretty cool name. And he's in prison. <laughs> At the beginning of the book and then he gets out of prison he's got a he's got his wife waiting for him he's got a job waiting for him uh, but just before a couple days before he's supposed to get out uh, he gets a call and his uh, his wife's dead and he's like oh crap so they let him off early <laughs> and this guy's just totally beat and you totally feel that and that's actually my one of my favorite things about this book is how much you feel um shadow's sort of emptiness in life um and you get it even from the beginning he's just sort of very passive and i don't know the way he thinks is sort of just i don't even want to say like 
he doesn't care about anything. He just, nothing phases him, if that makes sense. And he just sort of goes along with everything, which is sort of odd for a main character in a book. Lots of times main characters, especially when encountering supernatural things, are like, whoa, what? But in this book, you get the total opposite of that, where he's just like, yeah, whatever. Um, and supernatural things do start happening. Um, and in, in this book, it sort of starts off kind of subtle. And a man approaches him in the plane's like, hey, buddy, you want a job? Uh, and, you know, you sort of get the idea when you're reading it that it's like, ah, what's going on here? Is that an American god? Maybe. Um, and it is, I guess. Um, and then it sort of gets a little crazier and he gets more, you know, fantasy-oriented characters. And as you realize, so does, you know, Shadow, that something crazy is going on. And then all the time that this is happening, he's just so calm about it. And um, you really get a feel for him in that way throughout the book. Um there's, there's a point later where he's sort of alone and he's just like trying to occupy his time. And I, I just really feel that emptiness where he's like, I guess I'll go to the supermarket and then I'll practice my coin tricks and I'll <laughs> occupy my time like this. And it's like, geez, like this guy's just not feeling it. And uh, it's probably my favorite part of the book was how much that comes across. Um, as for the actual sort of, you know, what's the, what's the pitch here? Uh, the idea is that there's gods and sort of like in that movie, Elf? Yes. Like in the Elf? movie Elf. Um, the with, God, with, God. with Will Ferrell? <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm on board with whatever analogy no, that you're pitching me here. Joe, you have to listen. Uh, it's like okay. a elf where Santa Claus's magic runs on belief of children. Um, mm -hmm. The gods in this book, um, who are all from different cultures but have been brought to America uh, by you know, immigrants. Uh, you know, there's, for example, there's Norse gods. There's some, uh, I don't know, Indian god that i don't know much about and then there's this guy who's like a this folktale character things like that like johnny appleseed will show up um and they're all mm -hmm. brought and into existence and fueled by belief of people people that i'm not sure if believe because that seems kind of like a stretch but like think about them build shrines to them like that like if you've watched elf which i hope you have it's like that um <laughs> and it, it it feeds them it makes them they get hungry for belief and that's how it go Anyway, so uh, this uh, mysterious man named uh, Wednesday, who was on the plane earlier, uh, he hires Shadow to uh, kind of unspecifically just sort of do things for him. And Shadow's like, yeah, all right, well, whatever. Uh, and most of this book is sort of that guy making Shadow drive in his cart with him to different gods, different sort of, you know, folk, whatever, whatever god character there is, and sort of interact with them for about 20 pages, maybe less. And then move on. Um, and the idea here is that the old gods are being replaced by new ideologies like TV and radio and this sort of thing, uh, which are spawning new gods, and they're at war And uh, for some reason. And you're always like, hey, but why? Um, and you, there's no plot much besides like, okay, this is Shadow as a character. Um, he's, he's down. And I, I like that part of the book. And the other part of the book is just like road trip adventures on, to, to cool different concepts and characters, which is also kind of cool. Um, Interesting. Uh, and there's uh, as it escalates, there's sort of a war approaching, and it uh, gets a little twisty. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pretty good time. It's sort of it's you know feels a lot like a road trip sometimes because you go to different parts of the states and you you know experience like all the characters are from like different cultures, sort of. So they're you know they act differently and they react to the call to war differently. Um, yeah, and that's how it goes. Um, overall, it was a pretty good time. I mean, I enjoyed reading it a lot. It was, it was really easy to read, like page to page. 
Um, and I enjoyed some of the sort of twist elements that happen, you know, in, in the final act. Um, but I feel like some of the, the fact that there's not much story going on throughout is a little, it falls a little flat towards the end because you get, you don't get much build up to the conflict as much as you get like teasing the conflict constantly. And those two things are different, you know? Um, right. So I think this book lacks a little bit in, and I read the longer one, so I don't know how that pans out for the shorter one, but like for me, just lacks a little bit in like building up the characters to the emotional climax also. Um, is um is American Gods a, a series? I think it's a TV series, if that's what you're asking, or a series of books, if that's what you're asking. I mean, I was asking if it was a book series. I'm aware of the uh, the. I guess it's an HBO series. Is that uh, right? I understand. There's more books. There's a couple of other short stories that take place after the book, and you know, they're lengthy. There was one at the back of mine, but I was like, you know what? That's enough. Um, that one, that one is probably like a hundred pages, and there's, there's a couple more, and there's like a spinoff book too. Um, there's other stuff to get into, but I wouldn't really call it a series. And then right. I think there's a TV show, but it came out a little bit ago, and I, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too familiar either. Anyways, um, my theory is, not that I've read the shorter one, but my theory is that the shorter one's going to be better. Um, because <laughs> it sounds like the longer one didn't really build anything up better. Just sort of, here's what probably happened in the longer one. You probably just get to see more gods. That's my theory. Um, so if you're into that, that's cool. But I would probably just go with the shorter one first. And that's the one that won all the awards and whatnot. So um, right. there's that. I mean, it's fun. It's good to read. It's a, it's lots of cool concepts. And I like the idea of sort of fantasy in America. Because, yeah. you know, you don't get that all too much. So for me... It was, yeah, I mean, it, it's some um, differing points of exposure are always interesting. Like in regards to the format that you read the book in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm not sure how this panned, but... That's what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. One last thing is Shadow's character arc is interesting, and I'm, and I, I think it's worth reading for. I think it's worth reading for that. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm gonna tell you to read the shorter one, even though I haven't. And I'm gonna tell you that this book's pretty cool if you're into like concept fantasy stuff. Sure, I'm. I'm actually fairly interested. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that was my thing, Joe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so my thing this week that I've, I've been more or less doing off and on for the past week is I've been playing the new Pokemon game, uh, which Whoa. came out last Friday. Uh, I'll try to keep this brief, as I know that uh, you, Nick, have relatively little interest in Pokemon. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I can I can listen to you talk about Pokemon for, for a while, bud. Okay. Don't worry. I, I, I like listening to people enjoying things, even if I don't know anything about them too much wonderful cool uh so these are the new games uh which are our pokemon sword and shield i got shield version because pokemon games always come in pairs which is you know something of an anti antiquated marketing tactic uh but it, it works for them i suppose um and the uh the bit of these new games is that they're they're the first real pokemon games on like an actual console as opposed to like a, a handheld system like the ds uh so these are on the switch um and they are they're they're set in the 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 Pokemon world's equivalent of of uh, of Britain, uh, which is the uh, the Galar region, uh, is what it's called. Um, and otherwise, it's it's a a fairly standard uh, uh, Pokemon adventure in that you you are a, a 
a Pokemon trainer who's going out to to capture Pokemon and become the the the, the best really? at, at Pokemon battling. Best. <laughs> to, to catch um, yeah, <laughs> that's my Pokemon knowledge. Right. Um, I I I think that the the game itself is is very fun, even if it's um extremely standard as far as Pokemon games go. Um, there there there's not too much they introduced to shake things up. They they have a more expensive map than they have in previous games, which is partly owed to like just they're on better hardware now, so they can do more interesting things. Uh, which I think is very nice, and it's it's where I sort of spent most of my time playing the game. Um, the other new thing they've introduced in this is a a new mechanic called uh, called Dynamaxing, Sorry, which what? is um, uh, so that is uh, for three turns in a fight, you can make your Pokemon get really big, <laughs> really really big, because <laughs> they have a bigger uh, screen now. <laughs> And and I I really enjoy this. <laughs> like uh, certain Pokemon have like different forms uh, that they oh, can get they once they get this happens, or just bigger. Uh, most of them just get like their proportions get bigger. Some of them take on new features. Good. Okay. Good. Uh, Pikachu. When you do this to him, he gets much fatter. <laughs> so that's the, that that is exactly what I was imagining. Just a big round balloon Pikachu. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's basically what happens. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, and that's that's very fun, and it's it's one of, for me, the most interesting things about the game. Um, is that they they have this um this system where you can go out into the wild, and they'll have these raids you can do against um against wild Pokemon that are like naturally uh dynamaxed so they're 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 super huge uh and it's you and like four other people or three other people um and you you fight the big pokemon uh and that's that's really fun <laughs> cool yeah uh otherwise i i this is nothing new for a pokemon game since these games are made for children but i find the story incredibly lackluster um it it is i, I won't go into this too much but I, it is remarkable just um how incredibly weak the story is in this game. Uh, it, it, it doesn't really even feature like a climax of any sort. It's just a, a series of events and then it ends. Well, yeah, but don't you catch them all? Isn't that the climax? I mean, see, see the thing about that is in, in Pokemon games, often uh, what happens is, is catching them all is, is an optional, an optional thing. Oh, I thought um, you got the, it. the, the, okay. The, the core of the game you can play through with, like, just, you know, the Pokemon that you choose to, to play with. Uh, like, the, the... One of, actually, the controversies around this game is that um, for the first time in, like, the, the history of the series, they, they've removed uh, some Pokemon from the game. Boo! Yeah, uh, the total number that they removed is, is 490, which is more than half of the Pokemon in existence. <laughs> Nice. Uh, and a lot of people are quite upset about this. I was too at first, uh, and I still am to a lesser extent in that it's it's kind of a bummer, but I, I didn't find it really affecting the way that I played too much, uh, since there are still, there's still a pretty good range of Pokemon that you have access to throughout the game. And I think a lot of the um, 
a lot of the new Pokemon that they introduced are like really uh, stellar. Okay. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's about all I have to say you... about Pokemon Shield. How how is it? Is it like? I mean, I assume it's more of like a three dimensional, more open world sort of deal. Yeah. So how's that? Uh, that's good. I think that's one of the one of the strengths of the game is that um, just all the the benefits that come with the new hardware and the the you know the range that they're allowed with uh, opening up the world. Okay. Okay, Nick, would you like to move on to our main event? I would love to. So again, we're talking about Avatar comics, and again, I am super excited. Um, oh, me too. <laughs> all right, so this is the third graphic novel trilogy. It's called The Rift. Um, and moving away from sort of the the big debut and the what happened to Zuko's mom, this is the first one where it's like, hey, what's going on with this comic? It's, <laughs> you know, it's like the third one. What's going on? Um, and so we sort of get, in my opinion, a more, I don't want to put it down or anything, but a more sort middle of the road story like if you know if, if this was a season of episodes it would be the 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 middle of the season not the end or the beginning um so it's a smaller in a way story um more character yeah it's yeah i mean this is this is a top story and it's um it's much smaller in scope than uh like the search or the promise war at least in terms of like what what we're focusing on uh because we're we're essentially going out to um, this factory uh, and uh, focusing on conflicts there. Uh, it still is following up a little from um, like the conflicts between the Fire Nation and the Earth Kingdom that we saw in The Promise. Um, in that, like, you know, this is, I believe, one of the, the colonies. Yeah, it's, it's part of that land for sure. Yeah. Um, I think it... I think the idea here was that it's a relatively new place, so it's not it's not exactly the same conflict where it's a it's a colony, but it's it's sort of the land that is you know bringing together Fire Nation and Earth Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this book is sort of starts off you know leading little threads from the the past two books, which is good because it sort of gets the idea across that the, all these stories are you know building towards a larger plot. And the idea here is that there is a a well actually. You know, getting distracted from their their conference in Yudao, uh, where they they've instated a new government successfully, which is sort of a cool little you know nod back to the the promise and how that plot's going. Um, they get and gets a vision, and they have to go to a piece of land that used to be sacred to the air nomads. Um, right. Remembers this festival, and there they find this factory that we're talking about, uh, and this factory sort of you know building on the scene from before is an Earth Kingdom and Fire Nation together factory um, yeah and um one of the core things is uh in making this a top story is like at first she's very uh reluctant to get involved with uh ang's sort of worshiping of tradition uh because like in her life uh you know she she's been very against uh oppressive power structures uh which like she associates with not only the fire nation but also like her parents um and like, like she feels that like those systems have been limiting for her, and so she like views sort of Aang's focus on tradition as like kind of harmful in that regard. Yeah, uh, which is definitely interesting because you know, as we saw in the promise, um, Aang is sort of struggling with 
the new world, sort of the more industrial, the more you know, conflicted world, the more confusing world. Um, and I think it's a good thing that in this story, and you know, sort of continues to struggle with that. But instead of you know the villain of the story being the opposite opinion, you sort of also get it in, in Toph, our main character, and you know, Hank's friend. And because of this, you can see that not, not either side of it is wrong necessarily, and neither side is villainized. It's sort of a conversation between, you know, preserving tradition to some extent, but also not stopping progress, you know, technologically and, you know, culturally in the world. Yeah, I mean, not to jump ahead too far, but I think the story lands on like the conclusion of like, well, you know, there there are the the humans are always going to advance and we're always going to change and like it, it, we we kind of need to make sure that that change is good you know yeah I and kind of meld that with tradition where it's um it's not exactly resolved and it's not exactly because you know a lot of this is thinking about especially in the flashback stuff you get it like uh, will humans always do bad things and you don't actually get a conclusion mm -hmm. to that now because you have to see wait and see what happens yeah there's um I mean there's a lot of there's there's a fair amount of ambiguity that you get in this um like even with the ending where just like you're not 100% certain if things are, are are going to be okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um well anyways, um the the actual conflict starts out because Aang is sort of offended that his sacred land has become a factory. Basically that's it. And yeah, the first part of the series is sort of Toph and Aang slightly disagreeing about that. Um, you know, not anything too major because obviously it's building up. And then we get a tour of the factory, and the idea is that there's a um, ore refinery. I think it's iron mainly, but there's some other stuff going on, right? I don't know. Uh, I believe it's iron. Iron. Okay. And there's uh, another interesting thing this book sets up is that there's a bender uh, assembly line and a non-bender non-bender one, um, and the guy who's showing them around, who's Satoru, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, because it's a book, damn books, um, uh, is... It's Satoru. Satoru. He's, uh, he's showing them around. And I, I like him, he's a, he seems to be a new sort of main character. And there is also a little romance set up between him and Toph. Um, and that, right. That's mainly the first part. Does anything else much happen? Um, I believe that's it. The later they discover that, um... You know the the water around this factory has been uh, like there are there are chemicals seeping in, uh, which becomes well, a problem. It's green. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and that that's where sort of the main argument comes in between like ah, is this factory doing bad stuff? And then Satoru's like ah, it's it's not bad. It's it's actually clean. The river's not dirty because of that. Um, yeah, I mean he he's mainly. One of the things that, that is sort of driving him is that he's, like, really attached to his uncle, who is, like, running this whole business. Um, there, there's, this, um, there's this great line where he goes, just because he's a talented businessman doesn't mean he's evil, <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah, but, you know, it, it, it's, I think it, it's very reflective of something you see in real life where, where, uh, his uncle kind of took him in, uh, and so he's only seen like the, this uh, very kind aspect of him, even though like he is, you know, actively ruining the environment. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other aspect of this book, the sort of the important aspect that we sort of I don't know how we missed it, but uh, Toph's father is the other <laughs> yeah. um, business owner of this business, and Toph hasn't seen her dad since you know she ran away in that episode. Um, 
And so you sort of get the confrontation also between Toph and her father. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is, like, at first he, he completely disowns her. He says, like, you're not my daughter. Like, you must be mistaken. Yeah, which is, I think that makes sense. Sure, those yeah. who he strictly brought her up makes sense to me. Um, and Toph is, like, not, Toph is, you know, her regular self. She's not um, changing at all for her dad. And she's, yeah, she's not she's not taking any of his bullshit. Yeah. Um, I like the conversation sort of ongoing between her and Satoru about sort of the difference between being respectful and being, you know, hiding yourself and, you know, being a pushover kind of. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like how Toph never really has to budge on that. Like, like yeah. this, she she undergoes like a journey, but it's not on like her personal worth. Like, like she is always of the conclusion that like she is like you know just the most kick-ass person ever <laughs> yeah and i mean you do get the idea that Toph's mainly right on this point but there is also sort of a background idea which is the fact that she did run away um and she does actually apologize that for at one point uh, she says yeah you you get you do get a, a reconciliation yeah so she's not not sorry but she doesn't um you know give in to she doesn't She's very confident in, her, in, her, in the way she is now, and she's not going to change that, obviously. Mm -hmm. So um, that's another tough thing going on in this book. Um, there's, and then, you know, besides that, um, there's just a lot of little stuff going on in this book, like so much little stuff. Um, you get the return of the air acolytes. You get the, oh, yeah, I was about to mention. <laughs> return of the, the metal bender uh, students of Toffs, you know. Uh, which is re really cool, and they all seem to fit and work very well. Sokka's really funny in this book. Um, Sokka and Katara have a subplot uh, about sort of the Water Tribe, and um, you know that comes in a little later. Um, and they also have a flashback thing going on with a spirit plot. Um, and I think because this book takes its plot as a simple point, it, it's able to add all this other cool stuff in uh, and make it feel very exciting and very big. Um, yeah, it's it's. It's kind of a, a time for the, the whole team to kind of regroup and like go through little mini character arcs. Yeah, and I think everyone has a good amount of time in this and has a pretty good plot. Um, yeah. I like, I like the way sort of Toph's thing in The Promise Part 2 about her parents still bothering her comes back up here. Um, I like that Sokka and Katara are sort of confronted with the fact that they haven't gone to the Southern Water, water Tribe since they left. Um, mm -hmm. And I like that Aang is confronted with you know, having to argue with one of his best friends, and I think at some points in this book being kind of taking the wrong side of things. Like, you know, yeah. towards the end of the book, Aang is like, I'm going to destroy everything here, which is, you know, you need context for, obviously, but, like, it's just kind of crazy. Like, there's a point where he and Toph are in a physical, like, bending fight. That's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, that's that's almost kind of the real climax of the book, yeah. um, is that fight, um, which is pretty interesting because you get to you get to this point as you were saying where where ang is kind of blindly defending his own traditions uh which like you know there's there's not really anything harmful about them that we can see but like at the same time like there there isn't quite a place for them anymore well at, at that point that they do fight he is taking it too far i think or i mean it, yeah it's not that you can't see where he's coming from but it's like it's a little bit blind you're right um, yeah, but I, th I think the, the point that the book is kind of getting at is is that, you know, uh, at a certain point, traditions do need to evolve. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, I, I think 
can be evaluated differently in in the context of like the real world but at the same time it like makes sense here and like i i like the idea that like what humans do best is change yeah i, I sort of like like that you see Aang sort of trying to plant these ideologies in the air acolytes and you see mm-hmm. how, how even all the points he's making are sort of a little bit wrong like he's like let's be nonviolent, and then he gets in a big fight and he's <laughs> all like what's up the little guy is like um he's like i'm gonna fight things and i don't know it's like there's conflict between what he's saying they should do and what he's actually showing them that he does um, right and i like that um, i like there's also there's some other cameo stuff going on like there's there's um rough runners come back um and they've got some new members and they've also got cabbage cabbage guy comes back cabbage <laughs> guy is back <laughs> i love that <laughs> Yeah, I thought it worked pretty well. He's got a little restaurant. He's like, oh man, I hope my cabbages don't get destroyed. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. A funny little evolution for the character. So um, th- there is another line that uh, Satoru has, uh, which I thought was just fantastic in, re- in, in, like, in reference to his uncle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, I admired him so much. Unlike my parents, he doesn't care about politics at all. But now I realize that's because he only cares about money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, with some this is pretty funny. Uh, everyone's in character. I really like the bit where Sokka is um, using his belt to have a glow rock on his head, so he can have like a headlamp, and then it's sort of revealed that he has to hold his pants up while he does this. I don't know. I thought that yeah. was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> and Katara goes, "You're actually being much less efficient than you otherwise could be." Yeah, there's a lot of funny moments, a lot of good character moments. Um, it's, you know, it feels like a good old Avatar adventure, and I think it builds up really nicely. Uh, I like the use of flashbacks um, that I, I think expand the world. Like, pretty good deal. Yeah. And there's some interesting spirit stuff going on just for, like, because, I mean, before some of the core stuff, we, we didn't really know how spirits worked, and I, I like the idea here. I'm just going to say it because it's not really a spoiler, but, yeah, I like the idea that spirits are reborn instead of dying. I think that's interesting. Um, and I think it fits, but also... He's like a good expansion on the ideas from the show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a. I like the conflict between Aang and Toph a lot. Sometimes when you get like bending fights between two of the main characters, it's like, oh, they got brainwashed. And now it's like, who would win? Um, you know, that's not really what this is, and it's not. It's never been advertised as like Toph and Aang fighting, um, and it feels very natural in the way it, you know, it comes up. Um, but I, I liked it. It was interesting to see. Um, it's, it's a character yeah. book. I mean, they, they, they end up working together when a, a greater threat arises, which I think is fairly standard. Yeah, but they're, you know, at the same time, they're only they're only fighting because there is this greater threat. So, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. But, it, you know, it's not like it was like, oh, Aang and Toph are going to fight, and then they, oh, it turns out they just work together. To, you know, it, it just sort of wasn't mm-hmm. what happened in the book. Um, so... I mean, yeah. there is the fact that it's not searching for Zuko's mom, or we're not on the brink of war, but like, yeah, it is a very good middle story. Like, it's it's just very solid, um, and I enjoy it as much as the others. Yeah, I mean, what what it comes down to is that like Toph sees worth in like the 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 building of this of this town in this factory, and like Ang up to a point doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's kind of the root of their fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, other than that, um, there's sort of just for like the overall plot moving forward, you get the idea that the technology in this town is going to influence, you know, Yudao and the, the area around. 
you're talking about building a, a railway is that, is that right um, mm -hmm. and I, I there's also sort of a bender non-bender thing seated in there um, and yeah it all makes sense to me um, yeah I mean th those are both sort of things that kind of I mean I'm sure they they affect future comics but they also like are, are set up for uh, for Cora in big ways yeah yep just in terms of that setting and like even the 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 increased relevance of spirits is something that's like a lot more in Korra than it is in the original show. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing I'll say is that I think I think the location in this book is meant. Uh, I mean, we're we're sure now, but you know, is is meant to be where Republic City will actually be. So it's oh, huh. Udao is sort of just part of that. Is part of the United Nations, not United Nations, United Republic. Yeah. That but, um, that does actually make sense since they're 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 by the water in so yeah. much of this. Um, so that's I, I like that as a sort of build up of the overall plot. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and at the end of the book, we get a little a little flash to sort of three months later is what it says. And this mm -hmm. is where we'll talk about next time. This is where sort of the timeline stuff that I get upset about comes in. Because if we oh interesting, about, um, if we think about I, I, I was wondering about that. <laughs> Right, so let's think about it. The promise happens a year after, right? It's, it says okay, a year. Yes, right? it's one year after the end of the show. And then the promise, the actual series takes what, you know, a couple of days, maybe longer, because Aang's in a coma. You know, Zuko's in a coma at the end. Right? Sure, maybe a, a week, a month, however long you needed to. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, and then yeah, the search, we would say I don't know. I mean, you can sort of make up how much between the promise and the search, but it would make sense that it's pretty soon after. Um, yeah, and the the search is like a pretty a pretty short story, all things considered. Like that is over the course of maybe a week at most. Oh, the actual story? It's in, you know three days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we get the rift, and then this one picks up sort of ambiguously, um, but we're gonna get a thing in the next one. I'll get to it then. But basically, from what we understand here, it should be. You know, let's say the the rift and the promise are pretty close, a couple months maybe, and then this one soon after. I don't know. Sure. Um, but it says three months at the end, and remember that. And mm -hmm. the important thing is at the end, um, Toph says something. If you remember to uh, Satoru. Satoru, she says something like, "Punch, hey, I thought we were gonna be business partners, buddy." And he goes, "Oh, okay, remember that." Right, because they have you know something of a almost romance going on yeah almost romance yeah yeah well the, the point is those are important facts to remember we're not getting into it yet um mm -hmm. next week we'll do the next trilogy i guess okay <laughs> does that make sense I'm, I'm loving these comics yeah me too i'm good i, I got so inspired i started rewatching the show a bit um it's really good i finished season two <laughs> I'm, I'm excited, pumped for season three. Um, I'm glad. I, I I need to do a rewatch of my own soon. Yeah. Oh, I also like that the archer guy's back in this one. V mm -hmm. I don't know how you say his name again. V oh yeah, the uh, the guy. Is it the guy that uh, yeah. was I hired? Yeah, it's that guy. It's the same guy. Oh wow. So in in the comic previous, he was that was connected from the past, and now he's I don't know. He's back. I mean, he's in the rough right, so it makes sense. But... Yeah. I, like, I, like I got. I gotta say, there's um, there's this great bit that uh they put on the cover, um of part three, uh where where 
this uh this big spirit general old iron excuse me general old iron is uh coming to attack the factory uh because he's sort of been angered by the humans encroaching upon uh this land uh and like eventually ang is forced to fight him and he 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 makes this giant uh earth uh body <laughs> to fight him with yeah. and i think that's just dope yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool I, that's I, that's one of my favorite things <laughs> it's a little wacky but you sort of get the i mean like that's the sort of thing that happens in season one with the fish like yeah he, he becomes fish giant and so I'm cool with it, you know? It makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, I like that too. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 very much appealing to my lizard brain, but uh, at the same time, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's good. Don't worry. You know, I just I just like big things punching each other. Big things, yeah. I, I'm not that kind of person for some reason. And I've never <laughs> been, so I never get it. I'm never like... I just don't get it, but it's cool. Right. Like, all those, like... Pacific Ring, like in Korra, when there's big things punching each other, I'm just like, what's going on? Like, I just don't get it. Like, <laughs> it's not for me. I don't know. But uh, yeah. I get that. Yeah. Um, coolness. So next week more. Uh, yeah. Joe, do we do we do our segment? Are we doing it this week? Uh, we are. Okay. Nick. Uh... Today we are uh, we're we're taking a look at an IMDb page, uh, uh, the trivia page for uh, the next movie in the uh, Die Hard franchise, McLean. <laughs> Die Hard franchise is still going. Uh, yeah, so let me let me take you let me take you down a, a, a brief history of the Die Hard movies. Um, you can hear me typing Die Hard movies into Google. Uh, <laughs> Well, okay, so in in nineteen in nineteen eighty eight we had can you can you not tell me the titles of the movies so I can guess? Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. Okay. Okay, so in nineteen eighty eight we did have the first Die Hard, which we have both seen, and I think we both really enjoy, as it's a pretty damn good movie. Yes. Uh, so Nick, please tell me the name of uh, the second Die Hard movie. Die Hard again. It's Die Harder. Is it real? Oh, it's stupid. Too high. Uh, tell tell me the name of the third Die Hard movie, which came out in nineteen ninety five. Die Hard again. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh my God. Okay. In two thousand seven, they brought the franchise back after twelve good day years. To die Hard is it good day? To, I know one of them is. Nope, that's a lit that that's Live Free or Die Hard. The twenty thirteen one is a good day to Die Hard. Okay. But uh, in the future. At some at some point in the in the ambiguous future, uh, they're coming out with McLean, uh, which you know we don't know too much, uh, but uh, the, there's there's some things happening. Uh, I don't really like that title. So the the it it's like <laughs> is it a prequel? <laughs> it sounds like a prequel. Uh, well, the the trivia section on IMDb, on IMDb is telling me that it's rumored to be taking place in Japan. Uh, Bruce Willis has said that this film is better than the first, and that's the first real sequel to Die Hard, which was the only really good one. Which is a bold thing to say about a movie franchise that you've been in five of. Yep, I agree. <laughs> also, is Die Hard 2 not good? Because I want it to be. And I've been waiting until Christmas time to watch it. Uh, I have not seen it, but we we could very much make that a thing on this show. Cool. 
would you want our Christmas episodes to be diehard oriented? Because I kind of would. Yeah. 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 Let's do it. Cool. So the the final bit of trivia on this page, which I, I should have read fully before making this a bit, is that Disney has since scrapped the project since they bought Fox. Damn. So oh, McLean is no longer a movie that exists it's or will exist. Oh my god. Uh, anyways, Star is really good, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, but it's also, you know, a, a, a really bad tragedy of capitalism that this movie is not coming out. Hmm. According to the details, it's also known as Die Hard 6, Die Hardest. Hmm. Interesting. That's a good title. That's a good title. Yeah. I, I, see, now, now I'm mourning it more. <laughs> you told me that. Yeah. So, Nick, I believe you have a, a wise quote for us to close out the show. Um, this one is approximately maybe from How I Met Your Mother. At least that's where I heard it. Um, okay. It's approximate because I can't actually find it anywhere. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I'm pretty sure it goes like this. Um, one character says, Who, who's excited for being old? And the other character says, oh, I, I get excited. And then there's the actual quote, if you're ready. Maybe okay. Ready. Um, Life is a meal, and being old is the dessert. Hmm. Thank you for listening to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bordner and Nick Protobapis. You can contact us at outofourheadspod at gmail.com, and my Twitter handle is at joeb underscore draws. You can read my webcomic Aeronaut at joebdraws.com. As always, Nick has nothing remote. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It would really help with the show. Uh, have a wonderful evening. <laughs>